0: Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you made it out with us today on Labor Day weekend. And uh, we are wrapping up a series today called Greater Than. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Colossians chapter number three. That's where we're going to be at today. I want to welcome all of those who are visiting with us on behalf of my wife, Erica, all of our staff and all the volunteers who set up uh, for you today. If you're a guest with us for the very first time, we're honored that you're here. Hey, I always remind our guests to come at least three times. Everybody say Three times. Here's why. I've noticed that when I go to a place and I, I go there one time, sometimes I don't always get the right like, feel of exactly the way that it is, so I always, like, it's kind of like a three-week challenge. Come back and try us out. Check us out at least three times. Hopefully, we'll be your spiritual family. I also want to welcome everybody watching on Facebook Live Online to the World Wide Web. We've got people watching all over the world. Actually, it's kind of a cool thing, so you might be on vacation right now or you're in your PJs. We're so happy that you're with us. And so, um, Also, if you have your YouVersion Bible app, uh, you can pull that out on your phone. You can also check in online on Facebook. Like, Can you be on your phone in church? Yes, you can in this one. So it'll be awesome. So just go ahead and check in. Let everybody know you're here. Uh, Again, we are in Colossians chapter number three today. We're kind of wrapping up this series where we're talking about really the theme of it is that Jesus is greater than anything that you're going through inside of your life. And in week one... We talked about, really, God. Paul starts off this, this uh, book in the Bible. It's a, really a letter in the New Testament. Colossians is a letter in the New Testament. If you're a Bible person, you, you would call it an epistle. But it's really just a letter that Paul wrote to a church of, of a city called Colossi. So Colossi, Colossians, you can see how he did that. And so it's a letter he's writing to them on behalf of their church planter, Epiphas, who comes to him and says, you're my apostle, Paul. I planted this church because you told me to do it. And they're all jacked up, so you fix it. And so he writes a letter from a Roman prison because he gets visited by Epaphos, and in, in he starts off the letter with a prayer. He kind of says, hey, I'm praying for you, and so we learned in week one what are some of the great ways and proper ways that we can pray for others and pray for uh, our, our nation, pray for people. We, he showed us how to do it. In week two, we talked about how Paul goes on to say that you, you, Jesus is greater than our view of him, that we have to have a proper view of Jesus and of God so that we can actually experience God in his best we can and all the fullness of who he is, and then in week three, we talked about Paul goes on. He goes, no, not only do you have to have a view proper view of the creator you got to have a proper view of creation and sometimes you can overvalue and idolize some of God's creation things like he can he can create some really cool things but that's not what's cool God is what's cool God is what's going to bring us ultimate fulfillment in our life and then in week four last week pastor Jason our executive pastor spoke a great message on really being connected and how you need to be connected and how it's important that we got to. Jesus is greater than our gains and drains we need to actually be able to connect with other people so we launched small groups last week and was awesome. But today, we're going to wrap it up in Colossians chapter number three, where Paul is now writing to a new church, a new converts, new people who are new to this thing called Christianity. And there was some confusion in them, and he, he kind of addresses it in chapter three. He says this, he says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He goes on to say, set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. And in verse three, he says, for you died, everybody say died, And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is important for us to understand. This is a theme inside of Colossians chapter number three that he's just starting off. And then he jumps to verse five and he says, put to death. There you go again. Everybody say death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he kind of does what we do to our kids. So like if you tell your kids, hey, be good and then they kind of gloss over with their eyes. They're like, I don't, yeah, okay, dad, that sounds good. You're like, okay, you didn't hear me. Let me make it very, very clear. Don't punch your little brother, right? Like you have to highlight it. This is what he does. He goes, let me give you a, a list of things that you need to kill. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And then he goes on to verse eight. He says, but now you must also rid yourselves because you didn't, you didn't hear me. I'm going to give you a list of some more. And this isn't the exhaustive list. He was just giving them some ideas. He said, uh, all, all the things such as anger and rage and malice slander and filthy language from your lips that's not necessarily just cussing because i know people who don't cuss and have terrible language because you're ugly and evil to people and you say terrible things to people but you say and then you even say it in the name of god you're just as worse if not worse than what he's talking about and he says do not lie to each other since you have this is important he says taken off your old self with its practices this is good and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator And he goes on to say, here is their here there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian. He's a slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And he goes on, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, close yourselves. And he said, so if you're going to get rid of and put to death all those other things, this is what you should keep alive from Jesus' his kindness and compassion, humility, gentleness and patience. He says, bear with each other. He goes, be forgiving. He goes, forgive us. the Lord forgave you. And then in verse 14, he goes, and over all these virtues, put on, put on love. Everybody say love. Love. Oh, that, like, like let's love people, which is binds and puts them together in unity. And he goes on to verse 15, wraps it up. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since the members of one body were called to peace. And he goes, oh, and by the way, you need to be thankful. You need to be thankful. So if you're taking notes today, the title of my message uh, as we get started is Jesus is greater than me. Everybody say Jesus is greater than me. All right, look at your neighbor and say Jesus is is greater than you. Awesome. I just made it weird for everybody. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. Lord, we just thank you that today, Lord, you have something to speak to us, and I'm honored to speak on your behalf. Lord, I'm humbled that I get to speak weekly uh, in, you, in your presence and in your church, God, so that we could all be better. We can get to our purpose and get to our potential. Speak to us today, Holy Spirit, in the way that only you can, in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. How many of you ever been to a museum? Raise your hand if you've been to a museum. Come on, like a real museum, like a good museum. Okay, cool. I've been to a museum one time. You know, I took my wife to a museum and, and uh, I didn't take her to the museum because I wanted to go. I took her because I loved her. You know, and we we as guys sometimes we do that, right? Men, we do that. We we go and we take our, our wives to places that we might not necessarily connect with or get, but we go there because man, I I wanna I wanna connect with my wife. So I want I just love her. And so we went there one time and I noticed at the museum, there's a lot of different kinds of people. The first kind of people are like school kids. You know, they come in and they're on like a field trip with their class. And so they have their notebooks and they're trying to fill out different things. And they're trying to look through different things. And they're they're they're, You know, they have this whole flow with their teacher and they come in groups. And and so that's one type of person. The other type of person is is maybe the the the, uh, the person who's just trying to start out in this thing called art. So they're trying to figure out what does a museum look like and how do all these things kind of, you know, what is this art? This is art over here. This is maybe a painting. And then you have a sculpture and then there's another type of people like my, my, my type of people were, you know, they were on dates, you know, and they were just there because they loved their significant other. And so you could kind of tell because the woman would be at the painting and she'd be staring at it and then the guy would be on his phone, right? Like he'd just be kind of like looking at the scores on ESPN. And that's kind of where I was. And then there was another final type of person, which I would call the art connoisseur, right? Everybody say connoisseur. Yeah, it's just fun to say. It's a good word. And so he's just an art connoisseur. Somebody who gets what's on the wall, right? Like they understand. They've studied the painting. They know about the artist. They know the technique. They know the sculptor. They know what period it came from, what era it was made in. They know about everything. And so they're experiencing it at a level that most normal people probably wouldn't experience it. And I looked over to the left, and I saw this guy in the corner. He was staring at this painting. And I could tell right away... He was a connoisseur because he looks like this. I'll give you an idea of what he looks like. He kind of has that step forward, He kind of leans into the painting, you know, and he has a 90 degree angle on his arm. He's grabbing his chin, you know, and and, and his eyes look different. His eyes don't look at it with joy. His eyes look intensely. He's staring at something. He's got this, this. This is his look. And So I'm curious by nature. I wanted to see what that guy was looking at. So I walked up to him, and I was like, and I didn't say hi, because, guys, we don't say hi to people. We, we don't say hi to other guys. We just do the guy thing. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When you see a guy, you just, what's You know, we do that, sup. So he did sup to me, and I did sup to him, and we were just kind of looking. And I was looking at this painting, and I, and I go, I, I kind of looked at him, and he was just, he was so intense in it. And I asked him a question. I go, what are you looking at? And he kind of looks at me, breaks his, his gaze for a minute. he looks, and he goes, and then he leans into me a little bit. And that was a little awkward he leans into me and he goes, do you see it? <laughs> and I was like, what? And he goes, no, 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 no. Do you see the colors? And, and, and he looked in my eyes and he goes, the emotion of the light coming in to intersect with the dark. And you could tell when he was painting this corner, he was angry. And then when he was painting this top corner, he was really happy. And then in the moment in the, like the center, you can run, you don't even really know his emotion, but it was good. And I looked at it and y'all, it looked like just somebody threw a bunch of colors on the painting and like made an accident and then framed it and said, I'm just gonna sell it to somebody who don't know the difference. <laughs> and I was confused. I was like, and he was like, you, do you feel it? There's emotion in this painting. And he goes, you have to feel it, right? And I looked and I was like, you know, and when somebody's that passionate with you, you just kind of, like, you have this agreeable spirit. And I was like, no, man, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I was confused because he saw something that I didn't see. And I left him and I walked around the museum that day. I don't know if you have these moments, but I walked around the museum and I just felt from that experience, I did not belong in the museum. Like I don't belong here. I belong on the golf course. I belong in, at a ballpark somewhere. I belong, you know, so at you know, Cabela's and Bass Pro. I get that, <laughs> but but I don't get what you're looking at. And I've noticed that in Christianity, there are you can have those moments with what I like to call like with people who get like super saved. And, like, they're, like, super Christians, and you talk to them, and they had, like, here's what it looks like. It sounds like, and I'm not debating that this didn't happen, but, like, sometimes you meet people, and they're, like, man, I was, like, a drug addict, and I was, like, I was like, an alcoholic, and I was, like, a womanizer, and I was looking at things I shouldn't look at, and I was a terrible person. And then I met God, and then everything just changed, and now I'm a new creation, and now nothing goes wrong, and you meet those people, and I'm, like, maybe I didn't become a Christian. Like has ever you ever met a Christian who feels like you you you, you it didn't take like God I need to do this again, because if that's what happens and then what happens inside churches you can go to churches have the same spirit and you walk in and people are like singing songs and they got their hands up and you're wondering why everybody wants to has a question right you're like well, I'll answer it somebody said call on them you know <laughs> and you're confused and they make you feel like you didn't really become a Christian Paul was writing a letter to kind of talk about the same issue that was happening at the church at that time. Like, these are new Christians. These are new converts. This is a new church. And so people are getting saved. And then what's happening is, is they're getting saved and they're having their moment with God and they're preaching Jesus and everything is great. And then they, they, they were told by a pastor, like we were told by pastors, like, just get saved so you can stop sinning. And then what happens is, is you get saved and you don't stop sinning and you get confused, Right? In fact it brings up a tension or a misconception in Christianity which is really this is say once I get saved like once when I become like a fully devoted Christian then my sinning will stop the problem is is that when I did that the next day I went out and cheated on a test the next day you went out and flipped someone off in traffic the next day you went out and then all of a sudden you started mistreating people maybe you lied maybe you did one of the unpardonable sins and you felt like man maybe it didn't take Maybe it didn't work. And so there was a tension in the church then, like there's a tension in the church now. And Paul's saying, no, 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 I want to explain to you what a typical Christian like. Because remember, this was a new new church. They were brand new, just off the lot. New car smell. (laughs) So he's got to explain to them how this thing called Christianity works. He says the first battle that every Christian, every Christian has two battles. And the first one you're going to have to fight is the battle for your eternity. And so he starts off Colossians with that. He says, here's how it works. Colossians chapter 3. For you died. Everybody say died. 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 And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. He says, listen, the first battle that you're going to have to fight is a fight for your eternity. And Jesus, God has a strategy to how to help you win that battle. And here's his strategy. He removes you from the process. He says, you can't do it. You couldn't be good enough if you wanted to. So I'm going to send Jesus ahead of you. He's going to help you win your battle for eternity. God wins it on your behalf. You win because Jesus won. Congratulations. Welcome into the kingdom. That's your first battle. He says, but the problem is, and this is what kind of sounds contradictory with Paul. A lot of times, you know, people say like the Bible is full of contradictions. You know, it's like this is one where people kind of get messed up because Paul says, for you died. And then he confuses us. He says this. He goes, he goes in the next part of Colossians, the second battle. He says, then put to death, therefore, whatever belongs in your earthly nature. So you're like, Paul, you just said I died. How do I put to death something that's already dead, right? And so Paul goes, no, oh, oh, oh no, you, you, you misunderstood. That's your second battle. Your second battle is your battle for your present. Because, like, have you noticed that when you gave your life to Jesus, you didn't, like, Star Trek, beam yourself into heaven? You still live in this earth with a bunch of crazy, unsaved people who, who, who just do crazy things. And say crazy things and act crazy ways, right? And like crazy teams, and football and baseball and basketball. It's like, how do you even like the Raiders? I don't get it, right? You know, and <laughs> so so there's 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 a you're confused, you know, and and so 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 part of it is is Paul's going, you died with Christ, and Jesus won your your eternity, and so he wins it for you. But in your battle for your present, he's not going to win it for you. He's going to win it with you. And you play a part in your present. Like you play a part in who you're supposed to be. Like God's not just going to step in and fix everything for you because you prayed a prayer and you made him a lifeguard of your life. And so, God's, so Paul is talking about this. He's saying, you, 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 Jesus, God's strategy to win this battle is he fights with you. In fact, it's really a summary of the Great Commission. If you don't know anything about the Great Commission, Jesus lives this life 33 years. It's a three-year ministry. Does amazing things. Changes the world in three years. And before he leaves this earth, how many all know your final words before you leave this earth are going to be pretty important? And Jesus sets the tone for what he wants to see happen. He starts the church as we know it. And he says this in Matthew 28. He says, therefore, go. Everybody say go. go. And then he says make. Everybody say Make. Make disciples of all nations. So what he was saying was, he says, listen, I'm about to leave. Here's your mission because it's a great commission. It's my mission. That's now your mission because you're following me. And he says, we need to go and reach people, which is part of our mission statement. Reaching people and building lives is the same thing. Go and make. Right? So we just stole it from Jesus. The go part is your eternity battle. You need to help people introduce them to Jesus so they win their battle with eternity. He's just summarizing the Great Commission. Then he says, "There's a second part, which is to make disciples, which is the building lives part. That's going to be your battle for your present, which we call a present progressive. See, you guys are fancy, like smart in here, like present progressive moments in your life where every day you got to get up and choose to follow God by putting to death your earthly nature. So Paul's saying, don't get it twisted." Like, don't get it confused. I know it sounds contradictory. You're going to die with Christ, and he's going to raise you up, and now you're going to have eternity. But then you're still going to be here. So you're going to have to, like, make decisions to put things to death in your earthly nature, which is terrible and sinful. And you didn't even have, like, you were born into sin. That's why you don't have to teach your kids, your little baby kids, to lie. They know how to do it already. You didn't like, you asked, like, where did you get that from? Like, who, who, who'd you get that from? It's not from their parent, you know? It's like, you know, oh, who, your mama taught you that. No, they woke, that's how they got into this world. Ask my two year old, he's crazy. <laughs> and so, Paul says, I want to clarify this is the life of a Christian. So, today, I thought I would just, in the time we have left, highlight what he says in dying daily. What does that mean? how to die daily, he says this statement. It's a really good statement. It's actually, I think, an interesting. He says, take off, how to win the battle for your present. Like, take off the old self. Everybody say old self. self. He uses language here that's pretty graphic. In fact, he puts it in Colossians. This is how he says to do it. He says, put to death. Everybody say death. Death. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Isn't that interesting? Like, that's graphic rated R language, y'all. Notice that he didn't say, hey, you got an earthly nature, and I just need you to cover it up. Hey, you have something by nature that's really terrible, just go ahead and put it in the closet just in case. This whole Christianity thing doesn't take, right? He says, no, no, you need to kill it. That there's a, there's a, by nature, a pretty terrible person inside of us. And honestly, that's really not an easy, that's not a hard thing to debate. Because you can look at the world right now. Does it look like the world's good by nature? No. So you don't even have to be a Christian to think that. That makes total sense to people who watch the news. And so he's saying that 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 person that 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 you that nature that we all have to be sinful, that person's got to die. Don't keep it around. Stop flirting with danger. I I, I grew up as a teenager in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and out there, they're just snakes, y'all, like just snakes everywhere. You just be walking down the street and there's a snake and there's a snake. Like we're in the desert. We're in their home and we're confused that there's snakes everywhere. And so we were in the Literally, our house was backed up to a mesa, a big desert. And uh, we would get s- rattlesnakes in our, like, in our house. We'd get rattlesnakes in our backyard. And they would just show up. And we had dogs. And, you know, I was little. And, and so my dad would catch them. And, he, you know, he, sometimes he'd throw them. away, But sometimes he'd kill them. Because, like, it was just. And you know what he didn't do? We didn't put it in a bucket and left it in the garage just in case. Like, we didn't keep it around. Like, to play with when we're bored. That thing was killed because it presented a threat to us. And how many of us keep our old nature? Come on, that person that you knew you were like. Like, because you wouldn't even debate with me. You're like, yeah, before Christ, like the BC version of me is pretty terrible. And most people wouldn't argue that. But some of us keep enough of it around. Like, just in case this Christianity thing doesn't take, we're just going to keep it around just in case. Put it in a bucket. And then we're bored. We'll take it out. So we're going to go to the bar every once in a while, and we're going to go look at things every once in a while, and we're going to go do stuff that we shouldn't we doing. Come on. And you play, and you flirt with demons, and you flirt with evil, and you flirt with danger, and then you get bit, and then you wonder why, like, God, why didn't you help me? Should I move on? I'll move on past that. All right. And so, and so Jesus, Jesus says, you got to, Jesus even establishes this. Paul's really just highlighting what Jesus said in Luke because he, Jesus highlights the walk with Christianity. And this is what he says. He says, Luke chapter 9, says, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, ever say disciple. Which, by the way, the word Christian is not in, used in the Bible very much. In fact, the New Testament writers didn't use it a lot. You want to know why? Christian almost has a connotation that you have made it and you have arrived. Oh, you're a Christian? You're holy you have thou with made it, 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 but he says, you're my disciple, which meant you had to walk with him daily. In fact, the new Testament writers used in Christ and man, a follower of Jesus, which has more of a connotation that you got to wake up and actually follow him. You got to actually do it every day. And so he goes on, they must deny themselves. This is good and take up their cross. That is a death language. That's death language. That's not, he didn't say you have to deny yourselves, take up your, um, you know, take up your Ferrari, take up your, your, your mink coat, take up like, you know, just to, you know, just go ahead and put it in the closet for just a little bit. He says, no, no, you have to take up your cross, which cross has every connotation of death. And so I was thinking about that. I'm like, he used the word cross. So cross has nature to it. So how do we put to death our sinful earthly nature? As we wrap up today, I'm going to give you three simple natures of the cross. The first one is this. The cross was by nature heavy. It was heavy. It required effort. A, a typical average weight of a Roman cross was 300 pounds. The crossbar would have been 100 pounds. And so I know a lot of visions and, or pictures and stuff, and even movies we see where Jesus is carrying his cross, you know, up to Golgotha, he, he was carrying the whole cross. Typically, the tradition would have been he would have probably just carried the crossbar. And, and that crossbar itself was about 100, 150 pounds. So it was heavy. It took major effort to get to a point of death. So you have to think about it from yourself. It, the, the thing that needs to die inside of all of us, the nature that you know, like the sinful part of you, and everyone's got a little bit of a different sin. Your flavor, your sin's just a different flavor. And your mind's peach cobbler, yours is cherry pudding. It don't matter. E- either way, a sin is a sin is a sin. So you just have a different cross you have to bear. But he's saying it's going to take some effort to put that thing to death. So my question to you is, is where, where are you lazy in your holiness? Like where, where have you removed yourself from the process of dying daily? Because you have two battles. We're not talking about your eternity. We're talking about your present. That you're going to have to make an effort to put to death some of the things that are killing you. Like, where is it in your life? I like what John Maxwell said. He said, anything worthwhile is uphill. Many people have uphill uphill hopes with downhill habits that you and I have to maybe stop praying and start doing. Because some of us treat God like a holy lifeguard. That you do what you do, and then when things go wrong, you say, okay, Jesus, I need your help. Or could it, could it be that God wants us to have some uphill habits, some, some ways to thinking about life, some ways to being like, I'm not just going to have good intentions, I'm going to have good direction that my good intentions don't move us, good steps do, right? And so you, I talked to someone, he said, man, my finances are in shambles, so I'm just praying about it right now. I'm like, what are you praying about? Do you have a budget? No. Do you spend less than you make? No. Do you, do you just spend on credit cards? Yes. Okay, so I'll just tell you right now, you probably don't need to pray about that. You should change it. Take a step. Well, you know, I'm just tired. I, you know, I just got this stuff going on, and I just got like, okay, well, you, your laziness is stepping in between you and what you need to put to death. Every one of us has a step where we need to make an an effort. What part of my life do I need to give more effort? Second nature of a cross is that it was uncomfortable. In the very nature of a cross, in fact, Romans were professionals at torture. They knew how to create systems to where the person could not, the, the cross actually was designed to make sure you were always uncomfortable. You could not find an area of comfort That even its design was designed to stretch you out. And I would argue to say that a great Christian life is one of constant stretching. That we as a society are addicted to comfort. Like we like the lazy boy life. Like this is good. And anytime we get into an area where it's uncomfortable, just so you know... I think of my messages every week as how can I make you as uncomfortable as possible? (laughs) I'm like a spiritual trainer. I'm just trying to get you to run more. I'm trying to get you to do one more rep. I'm trying to get you to think, because all of us drift towards comfort. Like no one ever sells anything on an infomercial that says, are you too comfortable in your life? Try this, this is going to terrorize you. <laughs> call now. And if you call right now, you get a second one for what? For free. <laughs> <laughs> we why? Because we all drift towards comfort and it's really overrated because everybody look, I every person I ever met who ever did anything worthwhile never got to that point and they said, you know, Aaron, I gotta be honest with you, here's how I got it. I just woke up and I was here. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> In fact, most overnight successes are years and years and years of uncomfortable living in the making. Yeah. So my question to you is, where are you too comfortable? Well, I only go to church at eleven fifteen. That's it. That's why I feel comfortable. While I only serve in this area of the church, that's why I've always served. That's why I'm always going to serve. That's what I've always done serving. That's why I feel most comfortable. Well, you know, I've always treated my wife like this, and I know it's not right, and I know she hates me, and I know there's always these things going wrong in my family, but that's what's making me most comfortable. And I would bear to say, and I may argue to say, that your purpose and your destiny is on the other side of your comfort. I want you to be uncomfortable. My desire for you is to be uncomfortable. Why? Because most of the time, the level of uncomfort that you're feeling is really signs that you're moving. It's signs that you're about to do something. Like, I'm excited that you're, you actually got up and and, and, and and did something at all. Because comfort's killing you. The third nature of the cross is that it was painful. That a cross demanded pain. A cross required pain. A Roman's designed the cross to bring pain it's going to be painful to kill the things that are inside of us that need to be killed it should hurt it should cost you something it is hard it's supposed to be hard the christian walk is supposed to be hard church it's supposed to be painful it's supposed to cost us something it cost jesus everything it could cost us something it's supposed to cost you pain. Your pain is not a waste. Your pain has purpose. And we have to stop looking at pain like it's a bad thing. Pain gets a bad rap. When the truth is, most pain is a desire, not all, but most pain is a, really a determining factor that you're doing what you should be doing in life. I've gone to the gym, and I, there's a few people at the gym that are different. I mean, they got all types of people at the gym. You ever want a people watch? Go to the gym. You got the people in the gym? Yeah, that's like my kind of people. We walk in, and we just got a smoothie in our hands, you know? <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't look for the weights. We look for the, like, we, I'm looking for the, what's that thing? You know, it's, the, you know, it's like the, lip, the elliptical. You know, I just want to say that I did something today, you know? And I got my bottle of water. I look good. I got the, all the things I need to look good, right? You know, my hair's right. You know, I'm just talking to people. Hey, like, what's up? You know, hey, you know, I'm just having a good time. You know, but I've noticed that when I do that, I don't sweat very much. It's powerful. You know, now I'm not getting stronger. I don't understand. And I'm not losing the weight that I thought I would lose. But I'm telling you what, I look good at the gym. And then there's the other people, As some of y'all are like that in this church. You know, I see your social media feeds, and they just be like, you know, they walk up and they, they go into these, they're not even gyms, they're just like warehouses and they look like where you would torture people. <laughs> and they walk in and they're slamming my weights on the ground and they're high-fiving and chest bumping and they're working out and they're sweating. It's just crazy. And they're screaming and they're yelling, yeah, get some. <laughs> and to their credit, they look like they got muscles. And they are in shape. And I talked to one of my friends. They were like, yeah, man, when I leave that day, it hurts. They don't walk out of there going, man, you know, well, you know, I just was trying to not be painful today. I just want to hang out. Why? Because pain is a, often a, it's, just, it's like an indicator that you're doing something. You're moving. You're growing. In fact, I would argue to say that your greatest moments are on the other side of you just getting into some pain moments. My wife said this to me the other day, and I'm closing She said, "You know, Aaron, some of the. She was one of my most joyful time in my life. One of the most pure. And ladies, y'all, y'all, y'all could probably amen this. Some of the, the the most joy you ever had, euphoric experience you've ever had, was right after you, the doctor handed your baby to you. And 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 she said she said." What's weird about that is it's right after the most painful moment of my life. Because my wife has our kids at, at home. Like we're hippie people, like that's how we did it. She had it in my house, in my room, on my side of the bed. and just, <laughs> was, I was laying next to her, you know, and I was just like, it's everywhere, it was just. And I remember, I remember her. And how painful it was and what she had to go through. Isn't it interesting how the most amazing moment of joy was on the other side of maybe one of the most painful moments. And so my my prayer for you as a pastor is that you wouldn't run from pain. You need to know this. Your threshold for pain is your purpose ceiling. You're never going to get past that. So if you don't lean into some of your pain in your life, you're never going to kill what needs to be killed and you're never going to get to where God has for you. And so there's some things inside of you as a husband that needs to die. And it's going to be painful. There's some things inside of you as a wife that needs to die and it's going to be painful. There's some things inside of you as a Christian that needs to die and it's going to be painful. But on the other side of your pain, come on, on the other side of your pain could be the greatest joy moments of your entire life. Lean into that pain. It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to cost you something. If it was easy, everybody would do it. You are in the elite of the elite, not because of who you are, but because of what we and who we represent. It's supposed to be. Now, rewind back to the moment when I was in the museum. You know what I really would have helped me experience that museum better? would have made me feel like I belonged better somebody just come up to me and explain to me what was going on just be cool hey hey man I noticed you look a little lost can I help you tell you about this painting let me tell you about this artist let me tell you about those colors let me tell you about let me invite you in and how many times of our churches where you walk into a church and you walk in and you're a little lost you're like I don't know if I belong here and people make you feel like you don't belong here come on May we be a church. Can we be a church where we look for the people who are lost, both in this building and out, They say, hey, let me explain to you the colors of Jesus. He's incredible. He's amazing. This is what it's supposed to feel like. This is what we see. This is why we lift our hands. This is why we worship. This is why we come and listen to a crazy preacher who tells crazy stories and talks about just crazy things. This is why we do it, because we love Jesus. This is what it feels like. Can we be a church that grabs people and brings them in? There's always room at the table. There's always room in the family. May we be a church that's like that.